Good morning, church. Good human hot morning. Um, the scripture today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. The word goes as follows. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may now live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. It occurs to me, suddenly, that I skipped a part of our service. Oh, here we are. All right. Shall we? The Apostles' Creed, a statement of belief, a summary of Christian foundations, and a confession of who it is that we worship in Father and Son and Holy Ghost. Uh, let's recite this together. Dear friends, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's pray as we uh, consider God's word in this time. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful uh, for saints that have gone before us, articulating for us treasured words of faith, of hope, of love, reminding us what it is that we believe and what it means to follow you in these beliefs. And that's what we're after here in this time as we consider your word. Teach us to follow you. Teach us to live in light of your gospel. And so we pray, send your Holy Spirit and give us grace to hear your word and to be transformed by it. Do this for our good. Do this for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we recited the Apostles' Creed in part because we're continuing today in our study of the Apostles' Creed as a framework for understanding what it is that the Bible teaches. The Apostles' Creed is a, an I believe statement. Creed comes from credo for Latin, Latin word for I believe. A statement of beliefs, doctrines, patterns of belief and behavior in the Christian life. And it's been treasured and confessed by Christians for centuries and centuries and centuries. We've been taking one phrase or one line at a time and using some passage of Scripture that provides sort of girding, uh, a foundation uh, for each of these discrete beliefs. And today we've arrived at the section of the Apostles' Creed that affirms the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Now, some of you may not know what to do with yourselves. It's not Easter, and we're talking about the resurrection. No, of course, every Sunday is a good day to talk about Christ's resurrection. Jesus died in our place, suffering the punishment that we deserved for our sins. His lifeless body was buried in a tomb near Jerusalem. And then, as the creed declares, the third day he rose again from the dead. And immediately, you might say to yourself, well, who cares, right? What's the meaning of Christ's resurrection, why does it matter? Well, let's dive in right away. There's so much that can be said. Let me simply begin by offering you three things about why Christ's resurrection matters and what it means. First, Jesus' resurrection was proof that he is who he said he is. He is the Messiah, the eternal Son of God, the one who has the authority to forgive all our sins, the Savior of the world. As Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, he was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, his resurrection was the authentication of, of his identity. He said all these things. I am one with God. 
I have the power and authority to forgive your sins. I was the one who was before all time. I came from heaven and will be returning to my Father in heaven. He said these things, and most people didn't believe him. His resurrection was the authentication of his true identity. Through his life and even through the present day, Jesus was accused of making false claims. The resurrection was the vindication of Christ against his doubters and his accusers. Jesus is who he said he is. Second, the resurrection was also proof that Jesus did what he said he came to do. Jesus said, he told his disciples, he told the crowds, I came to give my life as a ransom, as a payment to set people free. His death actually satisfied God's justice fully satisfied God's justice, its claims, its demands upon us as sinners, and his death paid for our sins. The resurrection, therefore, was in a sense a receipt, a a proof that payment was made in full. I was noticing the other day that when I swing through Target or Safeway, and I'm just buying a small thing, a bag of candy, a box of cereal, that I find myself a little bit nervously making sure I'm hanging on to that receipt at least until I've crossed the threshold and left the door. Why? In case someone asks, have you paid for this product? How do I prove that? Just by my word? No. By my sincere intentions? By my personal protest? No. How do you prove that payment's been made? You wave the receipt. When Jesus rose from the dead, God was waving his receipt. Paid in full. Jesus paid for all of our sins. As Acts chapter 2.24 said, that in his death, Jesus was free. In his resurrection, Jesus was freed from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. There was no more dying that was left to be died because he satisfied the claims of justice on sinners. Jesus' death was not in vain and not incomplete. He fully accomplished our salvation, which is why even before his resurrection, he cried out on the cross, it is finished. And the resurrection proved that it was. Thirdly, the resurrection marked the beginning of the new creation. The new creation. The Bible promises, promised and promises, that there was an old creation, our present world, that's marred and wrecked by sin. And yet God will one day raise every dead thing. He will rid this world of disease and decay and depravity and death itself. Resurrection is the conquering of death and all these things. God has promised that he will raise all dead 
things. I recently saw the movie Aladdin. Maybe you have too. God promises us a whole new world, as it were. As 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, Jesus' resurrection is a preview of that new world that is heading our way. Paul calls it there the first fruits of a cosmic harvest of life. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning, the inauguration of this new creation, this healed world. Eternal life interrupted our world in the middle of history, giving us a flash and a glimpse of what God promised he will do still at the end of history. Resurrection is coming. If you're in Christ, you too will one day be raised just like him. Resurrection has begun in Christ and resurrection is coming soon. So the authentication of Christ's identity, the confirmation that his atonement was a success, and the inauguration of the future healing of all things. This is why Christ's resurrection is such a big deal in the Christian faith. And if we even just consider this for a moment more, we can see how much that can change the way, even the way we live the coming week. Christ's resurrection gives us cause to worship Christ as risen Lord especially when Jesus maybe becomes too familiar to us. If it's true that he is who he says he is, and if it's true that the resurrection is authentication of his true identity, then we better drop to our knees. He really is worthy of all of our worship and not just what we give him on Sunday mornings, but all of our lives as what Romans 12 calls living sacrifices. The way that we give ourselves to God and neighbor in our workplaces, in our street blocks, in our homes, among our friends, and even with our enemies, that we would be offerings of worship to him because he deserves it, the risen Lord. The resurrection gives us assurance for our salvation. If it's true that the resurrection is the confirmation that Jesus' payment for our sins was complete, that means then we can look to his resurrection with great confidence to know my sins are forgiven. And when those doubts creep in, you can look at Christ by faith in his resurrection and say, no, 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 no. Whatever the evidence in my life may say, it's more true. Jesus is alive, and so I'm a beloved daughter. I'm a beloved son, not a discarded prisoner, not a loathed, flawed creature that God has discarded from his family. No, 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 no. Jesus paid for my sins. Confirmation. He's alive. Receipt waving in the air. He's alive, so I'm loved. And you can live that way because Christ is risen from the dead and it gives us hope in the midst of continuing evil and injustice in our world, believing 
that the resurrection is the inauguration of the new creation. And that means even as we see around us just evidence upon evidence of brokenness and pain and evil and the appearance of terrible things and terrible perpetrators getting away with it all. And our hearts cry out, is there justice? Is there any possibility of healing and rightness? And then we see the resurrection of Jesus, and it tells us that one day, someday, healing, complete healing is coming. One day, someday, resurrection will be here. God will undo all the wrongs. He will redeem all things. He will renew all things and death and tears and injustice and oppression and hate and decay and sin itself will be no more. And so there's hope. We have hope for another day because Christ is risen from the dead. Authentication, confirmation, inauguration. We could stop there We could stop there. That's a truckload of good news. And that's a life-changing truth. But I want to tell you one more thing. It's another dimension of Christ's resurrection that the Bible teaches. And it's an amazing truth and promise that we encounter in the first part of Romans chapter 6. Briefly. There's so much that we could say about this very dense, packed passage, and we only have time to look at it very briefly. But let me tell you what the Apostle Paul argues in this passage very quickly. He tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united to him. This is language we find, for example, in verse 5. We have been united with him. We are personally joined to Jesus, legally, spiritually, mystically, together with him. And this is symbolized, Paul tells us, in our baptism. We're told in verse 3 that all of us were baptized into Christ. It's almost like our lives were fused onto each other, mapped on to one another. And that means because we're united to Jesus, everything that he did counts as stuff that we did. Everything that happened to him effectively is counted as has happening to us. His story becomes our story. We're united, you see? And so, in other words, when Christ died, Paul tells us, we died with him. We're told in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him. When Christ paid the penalty for sin, when he absorbed the judgment of God that was due to us personally, it counted to our account, almost as if we ourselves had suffered hell, had suffered God's wrath, had suffered death itself, because we are united with him and his story counts as ours. Do you see this? And this is what Paul means, that we have died to sin. It's that Christ has already paid the penalty, the price for our sins. And there's more, Paul says. Because we're united to Jesus, 
Not only were we united to him in his death, when we, he was raised from the dead, we too were raised with him. We're told in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And again in verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Which confirms what's said in other parts of the New Testament about Christ's resurrection and our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, God raised us up with Christ. Was Jesus the only one that was raised 2,000 years ago, rose from the dead? He was the only one? No, no, no. You two raised up spiritually, mystically, personally, raised up to life. Not yet physically, not yet materially. That's still to come. But once you put your faith in Jesus, once you're united to him mystically by faith, you've been resurrected from the dead, inwardly, spiritually, truly. And again, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, you were also raised with him through your faith. What does this mean? Listen, resurrection life is yet to come. Jesus is coming back. He's going to raise all dead things to life. Death will be no more. That's going to be a, a physical reality. The whole cosmos and creation will be transformed. Yes, resurrection life is still, still to come. And yet, resurrection life has already begun. You have been raised. Again, not physically, but spiritually, inwardly, resurrection has decisively broken in, not only across the entirety of creation, but in you, by the power of God's Spirit, who lives in you if you've put your faith in Christ. And so we do not only bear witness to Christ's resurrection historically, we share in Christ's resurrection personally. You are alive. And what that means then is a whole lot of stuff. If you've died with Christ and now you're alive with Christ, then that means the price for all your sins have been paid. We talked about that. You've served your sentence because Christ served it for you. You don't need to die as punishment for sins any longer. Verse 9, death no longer has mastery over him, Christ. Therefore, it no longer has mastery over you. Death no longer has a claim on you. You are free from sin's condemnation. It's also true that if you've died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ, you're also free from sin's tyranny. Verse 6, Apostle says, God did all of this in Christ so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This doesn't mean that we no longer sin. 
Christians certainly do, or that our sinful desires have ceased, if anything, once you follow Jesus, sometimes your sinful desires come into greater heated conflict within yourself. Some of you feel this. Neither does it mean that you will never experience temptation. You know that's not true. But what it does mean is that sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer a tyrant in your life that has its way and you have no choice but to obey. Christ has broken the tyrannical power, the dominion of sin over your life, which is why the apostle says that we have the power, therefore, as resurrected people to live changed lives. He says this in verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. The old me, the way I used to be, my beliefs and behaviors, my life pattern, the old me is dead, and I'm now new, living a new life in Christ. As he says in verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life because God has awakened your dead heart. He's brought you into the new order of new creation, resurrection life. And he's called you now to live like you're truly alive. Because here's the thing, friends. This is what Paul is getting at. Most of us, even once you've put your trust in Christ, you know his love, you've received his grace, you're confident that your sins are forgiven. Most of us still live as though we are spiritually dead. Defeated. Well, I guess I've just got to give in to my selfish heart. I guess I just have to say that harsh word. I guess I, I guess I just have to live for myself in my workplace, stomping on others and getting ahead. I guess I just have to use other people sexually or financially or in terms of the way that I allocate my time. I, I, I'll just use people because that's just what I, I guess I have to do. Nobody's perfect yet. Defeated and still living as if you're under the dominion and tyranny of sin, we live as though we were still dead. But this is good news. You are alive. You are given new life by the power of God's Spirit. You're forgiven, and you're brought into a whole new pattern of life. And this is actually what this whole section of Romans 6 is all about, these two quick paragraphs, it's actually about this question that the passage opens up with. Well, if we're saved in Christ, do we just go on and just keep sinning and sinning and, and sinning? Woohoo! Who cares, right? No consequences, so let's go for it. And Paul's answer is not, oh, you know, let me just guilt you into living better, or hey, you just need to do the right thing. Come on, he says, don't you know you're alive? Don't you know that you have the life of Christ living and overflowing out from you? Don't you know that God calls you to resurrection 
life. And what can this look like? What does this look like quickly to close? First, it starts with faith. Verse 11, count yourself dead to sin but alive to God. That expression, count yourself, means to reckon or to consider or to look upon. That means you actually have to believe that you are a resurrection person. You actually have to remind yourself or remind one another in community, right, to encourage each other, to prod each other's faith along, right, especially when faith is flagging to say, no, 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 brother, sister, you got to believe you're alive. You're a resurrection person. You're not dead. Stop living like you're dead. Count yourself dead to sin but alive to God. This is not pretending. This is believing what, in fact, is true of you in Christ. And then, verse 14 says, then sin shall no longer be your master. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of of righteousness. In other words, stop acting like a corpse. Rise up in resistance and rebellion against the selfishness and sin of your hearts. You know why? Because you can. Because the power that is within you is greater than the power of sin in you. Because sin is not your tyrant. Death is not your master. Christ is. Christ reigns in you. Christ reigns in you with love and with grace, and he'll only do you good, not grind you into the ground. You have a new master now, so live like it. Rise up in resistance and rebellion against sin. Do not let sin reign in you as if it actually has ultimate power over you. Revolt against the creeping, usurping rule of sin and turn to the rightful ruler, Christ Himself, So don't give in to sin. Don't let it rule over your bodies or, or don't just surrender to its reign. Offer yourselves to God. Offer yourselves to God because you are resurrection people, indomitably alive. Oh, dear beloved friends, if you are in Christ, will you cease living defeated and deadened? as if you're still enslaved and have no choice but to sin. Don't act as though you are powerless, a lifeless spiritual corpse. You have at your disposal nothing less than the very same power that raised Jesus up from the dead, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Living in you, So don't you dare call yourself defeated. Don't you dare call yourself dead, lifeless, unable. You are an embodied, flash-forward glimpse of the new creation. Resurrection itself. Humanity healed of sin and death. It's coming one day in fullness. You are an embodiment of its fulfillment in part here 
and now. Everything that life was meant to be and one day will be. You have ability to love beyond your human ability to love. To obey and follow Christ and his righteousness beyond your personal ability to follow him. And so you can almost talk to yourself in these moments when you feel temptation to suck inward and to live for yourself or to be selfish. Again, in your homes, in your relationship, in your workplaces, in whatever it might be. And you can talk to yourself and say when sin comes knocking on the door, you say, no, 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 no. Sin is not my master. I don't need to surrender to its power. It has no claim on me. I'm no longer indebted to this collector. Sin is not my master. And then you tell yourself, I am alive in Christ, raised from the dead. Count yourself that. Say it again and again and again to yourself. I'm alive in Christ. I'm alive in Christ. I'm not dead. And then I offer every part of me, every part of this resurrected part of me, this hand of mine, this mind of mine, this tongue of mine, every part of my body, as Paul puts it, I offer it to God as an instrument of righteousness. And we stumble forward in love and in repentance because we don't get this perfectly every time and renewed faith in Christ and his resurrection. And we believe again and again that we can live as new people because Christ has made you new. You can live true life, eternal life, even now, because Christ has given you eternal life. Beloved, as the creed tells us, as God's words tell us, Christ is risen, and so are you. Let's pray. So we ask, God, that you would help us to believe this, and that we would live like this, and learn to live like this by faith in our union with Christ who died and rose again, that we too might have newness of life. So come now. Show us where we need to apply this most. Show us where we need to live most as risen people. We pray and ask in Christ's name.